worship team. Wow, what an amazing worship set this morning. Just reflecting on God, reflecting on his character, reflecting on his goodness, and all of that flows out of his holiness. You know, we're going to be looking, go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. And I have to say that this passage of Scripture is probably my favorite text in all of Scripture. And it's my favorite text because it's one that God used in my life to grip my heart, to call me to faith, to help me to see and understand what it means to truly live a life that matters. Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 16. We're going to read this in a second. But before we dive into this, I want to share with you a story uh, in regards to a friend of mine. His name is Jim. Jim and I were buddies. We were close. We were tight. We loved to do things together. We loved to play sports together. We would go to the gym and play basketball together. We would hang out together. We would get into all sorts of mischief together. I don't know if any of you have ever had friends like Jim But I got to say, looking back on my memories with Jim, we had so much fun and we got into so much trouble. And it was it was one of those experiences for me as a young man was really impressionable. And, you know, I remember one thing very specific in regards to my friendship with Jim. And one of the things that we liked to do when we got together uh, was shadow box. I know. And as we were shadow boxing, you know, he and I would we would pretend we were in the fight of our lives. You know, he'd swing and I'd dodge and weave and and all we're shadow boxing. We got our, our coordinated steps a bit off. You know what I mean? Like he leaned in for a swing and I, for whatever reason, I leaned in and his fist collided with my face. And I learned a really important lesson in that moment in regards to swinging at shadows. You know, swinging at shadows is a wasted effort. You know, by and large, when it comes to shadow boxing, you're, you're expending a lot of energy, you're burning a lot of calories, and at the end of the day, you have nothing to show for it, right? Nothing to show for it except weariness. Lasting change came when Jim connected with what was real. His fist made contact with my face, And I was never the same. You know, for many of us here today, this defines our struggle. Running hard after the trivial, the meaningless, the mundane. You know, and for many here this morning, our our journey could probably be described best by by, by a picture of of a young man sitting in the middle of a busy intersection on an exercise bike, pedaling hard and going nowhere. You know, this begs a really important question for all of us. And as we urge you and urge you to ask yourselves in the quietness of your own heart, what does it mean to pursue a life that matters? You know, Paul talks about this pursuit in his letter to the church at Philippi. And in so doing, he gives us a glimpse into his own life, his own pursuit, his own struggle. Let's look at this text together. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. Paul says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write these same things to you is no trouble. 
to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. We are all the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had counted, Christ indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already, or, or, or already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've already made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything also to you, only let us hold true to what we have attained. You know, in verse 1, Paul sets the stage for this life that matters with the way that he opens up this text, he says, finally, rejoice. Rejoice. It's an interesting word, rejoice. You know, it's as if Paul is telling us here in this moment, live lives that are dominated by joy. Walk in this joy. Love this joy. Pursue this joy. Have hearts that are absolutely anchored in the peace and the acceptance that only God can give. Peace because there's an absence of conflict with God. I'm resting in His plan for my life. Many of us struggle with this kind of peace. We say, God, I want to surrender to your lordship. God, I want to surrender to your leadership as long as it means I can keep the things that are important to me. Paul recognizes the importance and the centrality of this joy, and he wants them to understand the importance of having their hearts anchored in the peace and acceptance that only God can give. There's an absence of conflict with God. There's an acceptance that comes on the merits of God's Son's ultimate thing, that, that apart from Jesus, I am nothing, and that only because of Jesus am I standing right before God. Rejoice in the Lord. Live lives that are dominated by a resiliency that comes only from connecting with what is real. 
faith in Christ. That's what he desired for them. Jesus is the foundation of a life that matters, brothers and sisters. And apart from Jesus, there is no joy. There is no peace. There is no life. This joy can't be found in a career. It can't be found in a bank balance. It can't be found in your social status. Not even in religion. Did you hear that? Not even in religion. You know, Paul goes after the pervasive religious philosophy of their day in the verses that follow. He's attacking the Pharisees in verse 2 when he says, look out for the dogs. That's a pretty intense phrase, right? He's calling them dogs. The irony is that the Jews oftentimes refer to the Gentiles as dogs. But he says, look out for the dogs. You might be asking yourself, what is so bad about religion? Well, brothers and sisters, let me share with you here a couple of things as we think about what Paul is getting at here. He's drawing attention to the fact that he and grace to a regimented list of rules and regulations. And that wasn't the heart of what God desired for them. Religion awakened in their hearts a sense of spiritual accomplishment and a spirit of elitism that was comparative in his very nature. Religion became a means of earning God's favor as opposed to recognizing that apart from God's grace, we all stand condemned. Religion sought to establish a man-centeredness when God deserved preeminence. Religion got it all wrong. You know, and for much of Paul's life, he was lured away by its worldly attractiveness. He opens up about his struggle in verses 4 through 6, and this is what I love about Paul. He's so raw and open and available and accessible and easy to understand. He describes his journey very simply. He says, you know what? I was circumcised on the eighth day. You see it right there in the text. In other words, he's saying, I was born into a highly devoted family. My family cared about religion. I followed the rule. I was circumcised the eighth day. Circumcision was a rite that marked you as a man of faith, and it thus confirmed the covenant that God established with his people. King Saul was a part of this tribe. So it was a kingly tribe. It was a royal tribe. It was a warring tribe. It was a brave tribe. There were some other key people that were also a part of the tribe of Benjamin. Think of Mordecai. Remember the story of Mordecai and Esther? They were both of the tribe of Benjamin. This was a, this was a status that carried weight. But not only that, he says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, he's saying, I was a real Jew if ever there was one. We've heard the phrase, a man's man, right? You know, and we think of it in a lot. I mean, like you might think of, I don't know, Chuck Norris or... Maybe you don't think of Chuck Norris anymore. But you know, he was a, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's like, I, I was a real Jew if ever there was one. I was zealous. Concerning zeal, he said, I was a persecutor of the church. He longed for religious purity. He was willing to do whatever it took to protect his religious values. And in the world's eyes, he was righteous. Righteous by worldly standards. Concerning the law, he said, blameless. Paul had it all together. He was a happening dude. 
came from good stock. He did all the right things. You know, when I think about my own journey, and this is where my heart resonates with my story, like Paul's, was riddled with a lot of good choices. I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. My family was very involved. And I got into the rhythm of doing really good things. I served. I was at every service. Every time the doors were open, we were there. We got involved in the bus ministry. I was serving kids. I was teaching children's church. I, you know, I, I figured as a young man that I needed to give my life to God because that's what everybody expected. So I went forward. I prayed a prayer. I got baptized. I got more involved. I got more busy. I was on the choir. I was doing all of these things. And yet my heart was going further and further and further away from God. In spite of all those things, my heart was empty. I felt like I was swinging at shadows, like I was sitting on an exercise bike in the middle of a busy street, pedaling hard, expending a lot of energy, a lot of calories, and I was going nowhere. Much like the Apostle Paul, I echoed his words in verses 7 and 8, where he says this. He says, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I count them as rubbish. You know, the word rubbish is, is translated in a lot of different ways in this text. It can be translated and understood as a lot. of Think of it as waste. Think of it as refuse. Think of it as dung. Think of the most putrid and vile thing in your mind, and that's what he's using to describe his good deeds. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. All those things that I, Mike Dunford, thought was earning me favor in the eyes of God were actually driving me further and further away from him and sealing my fate for a Christless eternity. It wasn't until I was able to connect with the reality that at my best, at my brightest, at my most noble, I was nothing more than a beautiful abomination in God's eyes, that I was able for the first time in my life to really understand what it meant to be a child of God. You know, and that's, that's Paul's point here. That is the crux of what he's wanting the Philippian people to truly understand. Those things that you thought were actually gain are rubbish. Those things in life that you're ascribing infinite, those things that you are banking on to give you right standing in the eyes of God are actually sending you to hell. Philippian people, you're missing it. You're failing to connect with what is real. All those things that you are hopelessly clinging to are nothing compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing. He is of infinite value. In fact, I would give up all things, Paul says, in order that I might gain Christ. Now, how does all of this resonate with you this morning? What are you clinging to in your pursuit of peace and happiness? More importantly, what is at the heart of your pursuit? Or who is at the heart 
of your pursuit. You might be asking yourself, if religion is not the answer, then what does it really mean to live a life of purpose as God intended? What does this life of purpose actually look like? You know, Paul tells us that this life of purpose begins with, first of all this morning, a fixed position. We see this in the center of this life of purpose is being found in him. This idea of a fixed position, being found in him. You know, in stating this, he's alluding to the two realities of the human existence. Two realities. One, being found in Adam. Being found in Adam. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, Paul says this, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ will all be made alive. He's referring to the state that we are all born into, in our flesh. We are in Adam. We inherit the curse of Adam. We are sinful at our very nature. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul lays this out really clearly when he describes the nature of their condition. You know, if you thought it was bad, it's way worse than you ever thought. He says it in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead indeed in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That is what it means to be in Adam. It's like when you go to sleep and you, you fall asleep on your arm. I've used this analogy before. You fall asleep on your arm. This happened to me once. I woke up and, and I looked at my arm and I couldn't feel a thing. I was powerless to move it. You know, it's lying there and I'm, I'm saying, well, I got to shift positions. I got to get the blood flowing. So I do the, the little shoulder jerk and eventually, wah, wah. I could have folded my fingers all the way back. I could have broken my fingers. I would not have felt it. It's that same kind of death. It's an incapability of, of mustering life. There is nothing I could do. You are dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of the world. Satan is ruling our hearts. That is what it means to be in Adam. We are enemies of the cross. Jesus is an offense to us. This is not merely a practical death. It's part of it, but it's a positional death. I'm walking according to the course of this world. That's not what Paul wants here, right? That's the, that's the life we were born into, the death that we inherited, right? In Adam. As in Adam, all die. No, he's talking about a second reality. This idea of being born again. That's why those words are so powerful in Scripture. When Jesus says you must be born again, he's talking about the reality that you were born into Adam and, and you're going to die if you stay there. There needs to be a new reality that defines you. So when Paul is talking about this fixed position, he's talking about being in Christ. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ will all be what? Be found in him. This is the only thing that matters. Life apart from Jesus is a bankrupt life. True righteousness comes only through the recognition that apart from Jesus, sacrifice for my sins, I am nothing. I'm nothing. The Philippian people needed to connect with this truth. This is a reality that I need to live in every moment of every day. Being found in him. 
Brothers and sisters, do we desire to live a life that matters for all eternity? Do I want to connect with what is real? Does my heart hunger for that? And if it does, it all begins with a fixed position. Without this measure of faith, it's impossible to please him. Hebrews 11 says, this fixed position changes everything. Which brings us to our next point. How is this fixed position obtained and seen in our second point? And it's clearly seen in verse 10 when Paul writes in verse 10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Impressing them towards a fixed position in Jesus, he's seeking to lead them to number two, a focused passion in their pursuit of him. A focused passion. He states that I might know him. This knowledge is super special. It's amazing. It's more than factual. It's experiential in its very nature. He desires for them to experience Christ. He says that I might experience Christ the way a husband knows a wife. It's personal. It's intimate. I want to know him. I want to really know him. I want to seek his face. I want to know the joy that comes from walking with him. Experience the peace that comes from surrendering to his ways. Fully abandon my own agenda that I might live a life fully devoted to him. This knowledge is more than emotional. It's substantive. I want to know the, the power of his resurrection, he says in this text. So in other words, when he talks about the power of his resurrection, he's alluding to the truth of Romans chapter 6. You remember the text, right? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's his answer? May it never be. Live any longer therein. Do you not know that as many of us as were buried with him by baptism into his death or immersion into his death? So he's talking about this positional placement, right? Being found in him. As many of us as were placed in his death, we were also was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. He desires for us to walk in victory. In Paul's prayer for them, it says, look, if you, you want to live a life that matters, first make sure you're in Christ. Give your life to Him. And then run hard after Him with every fiber of your being. Recognize that the ugliness of sin no longer defines me. God is desiring to give me grace in my relationships. He desires to give me love for the unlovable. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now alive in me. I want that power. This power comes as we abandon self that we might live for a higher cause. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. But not only that, he says, in the fellowship of his suffering. This is a scary statement, right? For a lot of us. He's basically saying, I want to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. In other words, just as Jesus died, so did I. My old ways of thinking. 
the selfishness that, that, that gripped my heart. My old ways of living, the sinful patterns, the sinful pursuits, the wickedness that gripped my heart pre-Jesus, right? I want to die to that. I want to see that crucified. I want to share in his sufferings. My old priorities devoted to self, what things were gained to me. Paul is saying, I want to put that to death. Just as Jesus died, so did I. But not only that, just as Jesus was willing to suffer, so must I. I want to live to the abandonment of self, he's saying. I want to pursue a radical mission to the detriment of the American dream. You know, when we step back and we look at all of the things that are priorities for us, they're all rooted, I shouldn't say all, but many of our priorities are rooted in the here and now. And Paul is saying, you know what, I want you to get to that point where you're ready to abandon the here and now and live for an eternity that's so much bigger than the junk of this world. It doesn't matter. Just as Jesus was willing to suffer, so must I. What about you this morning? What's at the heart of your pursuit? More importantly, who is at the heart of your pursuit? Are you running hard after Jesus in this way, church family? I dare say that there's probably people in our midst that their life would be described by the game that Paul played before he met Jesus. And some of us need to get real before God this morning. Some of us need to get on our face before God and confess, confess our heart of selfishness, confess our heart of pride, confess the pursuits that have defined our lives and say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to bow my knee to your leadership and your lordship in my life. God, I'm ready to give myself wholly to you. If you're anything like me, you're probably thinking this is a tall order. You know, I, I battle with my own depravity every moment of every day. And I'm a pastor. So just laying it out there for you. If you think that you're about who we are, and maybe we haven't been good at being honest with you, we battle with the flesh just like you. We battle with wrong responses just like you. We battle with irritation, with frustration, with impatience. We battle with all of that just like you. I lash out at my kids just like you. I seek forgiveness from them. <laughs> and I ask them to, to forgive me. I reach out to God. I cry out to him. And beg for God for daily mercies because I need it. Where do I find the strength to run hard after Jesus in this way? Well, I think the strength comes out of this text and is found in our third and final point this morning. It's future grace. You know, Paul struggled with that pursuit as well. And he made a point of telling us about it in verses 11 through 14. And he says this. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own brothers. I do not consider that I've already made it my own. But this one thing I do, I forget what lies behind 
I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul struggled in this pursuit with focused passion. Why? Because Jesus ransomed his broken life and made him his own. What's more, I too have been bought with a price. And what I do with this truth really, really matters. Though Paul undoubtedly understood that the power of the Lord's resurrection was for today, there was an element of waiting for that final day when his power would be consummated in our ultimate resurrection and glorification. There was a future grace that Paul's heart yearned for. His heart ached for it. He says, I press on to make it my own. I run hard after it, knowing that growing in this truth is a progressive process. God's plan for me is a process. So how do I achieve it? Well, we see it in verses 13 and 14. I forget what lies behind. I forget about yesterday. I could have had the most horrible day yesterday. And maybe that's you. Maybe yesterday was awful for you. Maybe last week was awful for you. Maybe this month has been awful for you. Maybe this year has been awful for you. Well, Paul says, forget what lies behind. Forget about past failures. Seek forgiveness. Repent. Move on. Forget about the day. Yesterday does not mean that I am guaranteed a great day today. In fact, oftentimes, my days of failure are right on the heels of amazing success. I could be doing great. I have an awesome day. I go to bed and I wake up the next morning and my heart is raging against God. Forget what lies behind. Past failures, seek forgiveness, repent, move on. Past successes, future grace isn't earned. Let go. And then strain for what lies ahead. Mark, press on for the goal for the mark of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He longs for you to know the joy of a life that is solely committed to him. That's what he died for. Let us never forget that, brothers and sisters. He desires for you to seek him with a focused passion, that you would really know him, his power, his suffering. He desires for you to lay aside every encumbrance, successes, failures. He desires for you to dig in and finish strong. You know, as we close out our time here this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I want to ask you a question. What are the areas of your life in which God is speaking to your heart this morning? And more importantly, where do you find yourself in this continuum of grace? Running hard after Jesus or hopelessly swinging at shadows? You know, Paul says in verses 15 and 16, let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, he's saying live life through this lens, brothers and sisters. You know, this is a daily battle. This is why I love this text, because it reminds me to go back to the truth. It reminds me to walk in the grace that God has given me. It reminds me to to seek to lay hold of that for which I am already pursued and embraced. 
That's Paul's text here, right? It's, it's not a question of I need to be something that I'm not. It's more of a statement of becoming what God is making me into, right? I want to reach out and lay hold of that by which my heart is already apprehended. So if God has drawn me to faith and God is faithful to pursue and, and I need to run hard after that, live life through this lens. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Let's pray. Father.